0: Well, this morning was a very big day in our church family that you may not be aware of. And it's the day that each year we give the Word of God, the Bible, to our second graders. And so it was a lot of fun this morning to be a part of that, uh, to see our children with great gratitude, with smiles on their faces, hold up their Bibles to remind them that God's Word is true. And that what we hold in our hands is the very word of God. That it is not something for us to take for granted, but to cherish and to recognize this great gift tells the story of Jesus, his coming, and the promise of the day that he will return. It's a story that he has written on our hearts and a story that we want every child, young and old, to hold dear, to, hold, to be held captive by, that it would rule us, that it would animate us, and that it would fill us with hope. And so this morning, to celebrate the gift of God's Word given to our children, we are grateful to have Emma and Connor. So Emma and Connor, would you please come up? These are two of our second graders who received their Bibles today. and invite you all to stand for a reading of God's Word as Emma and Connor read from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, co- and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Emma and Connor, thank you. I want to begin this morning with a question that I want you to think about and answer as honestly as you possibly can. Those of you who pray, those of you for whom prayer is part of your ordinary rhythm of following Jesus, I want you to answer this question. As you look on the substance of your prayers, what is the thing? that you pray for the most? What is it that you find yourself turning to over and over again, asking the Lord to do? Another way to ask that question is this, what do you want? What do you want most in life? What do you want God to do for you? What are your deepest desires? What are your greatest longings? In his defense, the Christian faith, C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So what is Lewis saying? Well, in other words, I think what Lewis is trying to help us to understand is those things that we pray for the most— Those desires, those longings in our hearts that cannot be satisfied by this world here and now serve as an apologetic that there is a greater kingdom that is to come. They show us that there is something that belongs to us as human beings that awaits us in the kingdom of God. You see, in a very real sense, every single prayer that we pray, every one of our longings, every one of our desires is answered in the kingdom of God. Because only the transforming presence of the kingdom of Jesus Christ has the power to heal our broken world, to redeem our sinful hearts, and to make all things new. And so this morning as we look at the Lord's prayer again and we see this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, that his kingdom would come to earth on it is in heaven, we have to see that Jesus is inviting us to pray for the greatest promise that he's ever made. And so the first way that I want you to see that this this morning is this. I want you to know that when we pray for his kingdom to come, We must pray for his kingdom to come to our world. I want you to get out your bulletin or get out a Bible. I want you to look with me at the Lord's Prayer. I want you to look specifically at Matthew 6, verse 10. So far we've seen the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the address, our Father in heaven. Last week we looked at the very first petition that the Lord's Prayer begins by asking that his name would be renowned, that it would be proclaimed, that it would be high and lifted up. It begins with worship. And from that place of asking, that his name would be proclaimed and high and hallowed all over the world, we move to the second and third petition. Look with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Next week, we'll look at what it means to pray for God's will to be done. But this morning... I just want to focus on three words, your kingdom come. And this is the question that I want us to answer together. What does it actually mean to pray for his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven? In order to answer that question, we have to know what we're praying for. What is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to pray that it would come? Now, to tell that story, I want to begin in a place of the Gospels, just a few chapters before this one, in Matthew chapter 3. So again, if you have a Bible, I want you to go to Matthew 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab the Blue Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, please take it. That's our gift to you. This is Matthew 3. And this is the story of John the Baptist. Now, children, I want you to think about who John the Baptist is. If you've grown up around church, I want you to recall who you were taught John the Baptist to be. I want you to picture him in your mind this morning. John the Baptist was a wild man. In my head, I see like this Paul Bunyan type with a big beard. He's like a lumberjack living in the desert in Israel. And he's wearing this cloak made out of camel hair. He's eating locust. You know what a locust is? For his food. He's foraging for wild honey. Can you see him? This wild man. What I don't want you to miss is from the mouth of this wild man came a very wild message. Matthew 3, verse 1, we're told what that message was. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you hear the message? Just as wild as his appearance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist's ministry was to proclaim that the kingdom of God was near, that it was at hand, that it it had come. He was preparing the way of Jesus the king, this long-awaited Messiah, the savior king that all of the people of God had been waiting for. This wild message from John was that you're Your hopes, your long wait is over. The kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's at hand. It's no wonder that the gospels connect John the Baptist to the prophet Isaiah. Because the prophet Isaiah foretold that the kingdom was coming. That the king, the Messiah, would come to establish it forever I want you to hear Isaiah's words, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now hear this. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This passage is so much more than a passage of the Bible that we should read at Christmas time. It's a passage for every season Because it's a passage about the kingdom. Did you hear the language that Isaiah used? His government, there will be no end. His throne, his kingdom will be established from this time forth forevermore. This is why when Jesus came and began to preach, everything changed. Because one chapter over in Matthew chapter 4, we're told, Matthew 4, verse 17, that from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to notice about Jesus' words that they're not just a command to repent, but they're an announcement, a proclamation that the kingdom of God is here. It's good news that God's reign and rule has been inaugurated. It has begun, and it's good news because wherever God is on his throne, there is peace for his people. The problem for us 2,000 years later is that that reality has been lost on us. And so when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, so often we fail to realize that his kingdom has already come. It's already begun. It is at hand. God is at work among us. And so to pray your kingdom come is to pray that Jesus would continue the work that he has already started. But that reality is somehow lost on us. We we can't see it. And I think that's really for two primary reasons one is that we don't always see Jesus as our king. As 21st century American Christians, we often see him as our savior. We see him as our friend. There are those who don't see him as savior that see him as just as a teacher or a moral example. But we must never forget that the Bible tells us that Jesus is the king. That the king came to be born in a manger, to take on our flesh, to die and arise again, and is now seated at the right hand of God. I was reminded of this the other day, reading a book with our staff leadership. Reading a book that I've read before, it's a book on church renewal and revival by a historian named Richard Lovelace. And I noticed something in my second reading that I hadn't seen before because it's in the preface. And it's one of those places in a book where the author's just explaining the terms that he's using. It's the kind of thing that you would just skip over. But I was reminded again of this reality that we don't always see Jesus as king, particularly when Christianity has become just a part of our culture. I want to show you what I mean by what Loveless says in the preface of his book. He says, I've sometimes changed Christ to the Messiah which is simply substituting the Hebrew term for the Greek. I have done this because I find that most people read Christ as Jesus' last name and not as the anointed king of Israel who will usher in a new kingdom. So what is he saying? He's saying in his book, he didn't say Jesus Christ. Because his assumption is, as people who live in a Christian culture, when we hear that, it's just become so commonplace that we just hear Jesus Christ, that's his first and last name. And so he specifically changes it to Jesus the Messiah. Because it's easy to forget that when we say Jesus Christ, that word Christ is not just a name, it's a title. It's just a Greek word for Messiah. When we say Jesus Christ, we're not just giving his name, we're saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited and expected king. He is the one who's come to establish his kingdom now and forevermore. He is Jesus, the Christ, the one who is reigning and ruling, the one who will come again. Do you see him that way? Or has he just become too common for you? I think the other reason why we fail to see that the kingdom of God has already begun because the honest truth is, it doesn't feel that way, does it? For honest, as we live in a broken and fallen world, it doesn't always feel that the kingdom of God is here and now. It feels like the kingdom of darkness is much closer. It feels like that the kingdom of Satan is winning. And we see that as we confront this broken world with war and division and strife and pain, as we confront the frailty of our own human bodies with cancer and sickness and addiction. As we confront all these things, it makes us wonder well, where is the kingdom of God? How is it that we're supposed to trust in this? But we have to see that when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, He came to confront these very things. As you read the gospels from the moment he began to proclaim the kingdom, we see Jesus confronting the kingdoms of darkness. The kingdoms of darkness and political kingdoms. And self-righteous religious kingdoms. And in the kingdom of the devil himself. And what we see in the story of the gospel is that Jesus inaugurates his kingdom and his power over all of these earthly kingdoms in the most unexpected way that the king of kings and lord of lords laid his life down on a Roman cross to establish his kingdom once and for all. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying nothing less than that Jesus would win, that his kingdom would push back the kingdoms of darkness, that as we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers over this present age, that we would pray with boldness and confidence knowing that his kingdom has already come, and it has come in power and in victory. Which is important because as we pray for his kingdom to come to our world, the second thing that we must pray for is that not only would it come to our world, but we must learn to pray for his kingdom to come to our hearts. It's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to turn to Luke 17, verse 20. Again, that's in the Gospels. Luke 17, verse 20. As we look for the kingdom to come, as we look for Jesus to wage war against principalities and powers of darkness, we must be honest with the war that exists inside of us as well. We see this in Luke 17, verse 20, as the Pharisees came to put Jesus to the test Verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. No, they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Literally, in the Greek language, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is inside you. Do you want to know where the kingdom of God is? In you. As a follower of Jesus, the kingdom of God is now reigning and ruling in your heart. And so here's my question What are you bowing down to in your heart? What kingdoms and what kings have you pledged your allegiance to? And then the question I want you to answer is why? Why? You see, we're prone to look to earthly kingdoms and earthly kings because we want to be in control, because we want to establish our own kingdom, because we want to be kings and queens. We look to these earthly kingdoms and worldly kings because we think that they can deliver on a promise that only the kingdom of God can. And so this morning, if in your honesty before the Lord, you are recognizing that you have given yourself to an earthly kingdom, a worldly king, I want you to assess how that kingdom is really delivering you. That this morning, if you find yourself actually being ruled by the kingdom of darkness. That when push comes to shove time and time again, you give in to sin, and you give in to temptation, and you choose earthly and fleeting pleasures over the future glory that awaits for us in Christ. If that's you, I want you to honestly assess how is that kingdom delivering you? Because the honest truth is they can't. They can't. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we must pray that his kingdom would come to our hearts. That it would come in power to reign and rule in us. That his kingdom would put to death our idols. That it would destroy our propensity to sin that it would establish a new reign and rule and that by his grace he would cause us to bow our knees at his throne. The Apostle Paul talked about this battle in us in Romans chapter six. In verse 12 he said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do you hear the language? The kingdom of darkness reigns over us as fallen and sinful human beings. And Paul's encouraging us, he's saying, don't let it. Don't give in, don't allow the kingdom of darkness to reign and rule over your hearts to cause you to obey its worldly passions. But instead, bow the knee to the kingdom of God. In order to do that, we have to admit that our problem is not just out there, but that when we pray for his kingdom to come, a prayer of honesty and boldness is to pray that it would come to our hearts. Because as G.K. Chesterton once put it in a question posed by the Times in 1910, what's wrong with the world? His reply was this, dear sirs, I am. And maybe you've heard that before, but I want you to answer the question this morning. What do you think is wrong with the world? It's so easy to point the finger. So easy even to pray as Christians that his kingdom would come to fix all that bad stuff out there, which we desperately need him to do. But we can't stop there. We must recognize that that war exists inside our hearts as well. This morning, if you are outside of the kingdom of God, hear the grace of our Savior King for you, that he died, he rose again for you, that you would now bow down and lay your sin at his throne so that his kingdom would rule over your heart. The third and final thing that we must learn to pray for when we pray for his kingdom to come We must pray that his kingdom would come to make all things new. J.I. Packer wrote that the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness bearing. Okay, so what does that actually look like? How do we, as God's people, make the invisible kingdom visible? Well, we do that first by embodying the kingdom, by living it out. And Jesus showed us what it looks like to live out the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. So I want you to take a moment and just listen to the Beatitudes again. These are Jesus' words. They are not a list of accomplishments for us to do in order to get into the kingdom, but they're a description of a person whose heart has already received it. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it look like to live this out in our broken world? Well, it looks like that in a world that bows to self-righteousness, that we would bow to the righteousness that comes through Jesus. It looks like in a world that bows to lust and licentiousness, that we instead would bow to purity, to poverty of spirit, to mourning our sin. It looks like in a world that bows down to division and conflict and anxiety, that we would instead bow to a kingdom that brings peace. We have been called to be a living apologetic for the kingdom of God, that this is what it looks like to be people who've been marked by the kingdom. But it also looks like us proclaiming the kingdom, that Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, it was his central message, and that is our central message too, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Because in the same way that John the Baptist began to prepare the way, saying the kingdom of God is near, Jesus is here, we now once again have been called by God to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand, because Christ it's coming back. You see, ultimately, to pray your kingdom come is to pray that Jesus would return. To pray that he would fulfill his promises to come again and make all things new. And those of you who know me or have been around me preaching at least more than one sermon, you know this, that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Revelation 21.5, where John tells us that Jesus, when he returns, will be seated on the throne, and he will say, Behold, I am making all things new. Why is that one of my favorite verses? Why do I include that in the call to worship to every wedding I officiate? Why do I sneak it into almost every sermon I preach? Because it's the promise. This is everything for us. It's it's the answer to the longings that C.S. Lewis talked about. That every longing, every desire, every hope is met with these words, I'm making all things new. That one day Christ will return and there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more mourning, no more pain. He will restore all things. And so to pray your kingdom come is to pray the prayer of the early church, Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I wonder, is that your prayer too? When is the last time that you prayed for Jesus to come back? The answer to that question, I think, reveals where our true allegiances lie. For some of you, you can't fathom praying for Jesus to return because the truth is you are not bowing down to his kingdom. And even as you hear this message, you're confronted with that, you know he's going to come in judgment, so that fills you with fear, and either you refuse to receive the grace that is yours in Jesus, or you don't understand it. You think somehow you've got to clean up your act before he comes again, but I want you to know we don't know when he comes, but he will come. And he'll come like a thief in the night. Receive the grace that is yours in King Jesus. He died and rose again for your salvation. Bow in faith and receive what is yours in Christ. But others of you, the idea of praying for his kingdom to come reveals that you have allegiances to other kingdoms and you think, well, I I do want him to come, but just not yet. (laughs) I've got some things to do. Perhaps others of you are like an old friend of mine who said, I don't want Jesus to come back yet because my friends don't know him. To pray your kingdom come is to ask that Jesus would fulfill his promise that he would come again. It's to pray the last words that were given in the Bible. They come from Revelation chapter 22. You can turn there or you can just listen. Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires take the water of life and hear this, without price. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, Jesus by his grace has given us words to pray. And in the Lord's prayer, he has invited us, he has called us to pray that he would fulfill his promise. That his kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. That he would continue what he already started. But that he would also fulfill what has not yet been consummated. Because we feel that we are living between two kingdoms and living between two comings and two advents. We feel this tension every single day. And so as we look to the day when Christ will come again to make all things new, he has called us to pray that his kingdom would come to our world and to our hearts. Until he comes again. So let's pray, Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come in power to our broken world. May your kingdom come in grace to our sinful hearts. And may your kingdom come through your Son that he would return to make all things new. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Until that day comes, give us faith, hope, and a vision of your kingdom. And help us to be kingdom people, living out your kingdom, proclaiming your kingdom, and praying for your kingdom until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.